Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Microsoft 365 Voice. My name is Mike Monarani. I have Sarah. Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah Hazi. And I'm Antonio Maya. And today we are going to go again and pick another question from the jar. Are we ready? Uh, I'm ready if you are. Let's go. All right, here we go. How fast can you realistically move an organization into the Microsoft Cloud? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a popular question right now. A lot of organizations want to move to N365. I feel Great. like this is almost a question in two parts. How fast could you normally, in normal time, move to the cloud? And how fast can you do it during COVID? Uh -huh. Okay. That's a good approach. Yeah. I like it. We have seen a lot of deployments get really accelerated really fast because of COVID-19. So tell us a little bit about that, Antonio, because I think that that's uh, a boat that a lot of people are in. Sure. So, so one organization I've been dealing with has, um, they have a little over 30,000 uh, end users and it's a government organization. And right before COVID hit, we were actually talking about and planning their migration to Microsoft 365 for the organization, the entire organization. Um, now, this is a government entity, again, large government entity, lots of different ministries um, and departments with different needs. And at the time, we were going to start with Exchange and migrating. You know, once you have identities moved and you've got some other core security pieces in place, we were going to start by moving Exchange mailboxes. And we were planning something like six to nine months to move um, uh, about 40,000 mailboxes when you include shared mailboxes. Um, and about 200 terabytes of mailbox data, right? Six to nine months building in appropriate change management and all this kind of stuff. If we get really good throughput on the mail migration, we are just completing it now in about 10 weeks because of COVID-19. So it was really expedited, really fast. Um, wow. And it kind of chalked that up to a couple things. One, working closely with Microsoft to help um, remove throttling limits, not remove throttling limits, but help increase throttling limits. Um, help get Microsoft's guidance on how to move things as fast as possible. And then really um, pulling together a team internally with the client where different people were kind of PMing and heading up different work streams. So if I think about that, we had you know a PM that was heading up the exchange migration. We had another that was heading up rolling out MIP to all 30 some thousand um, systems. Um, rolling out Intune and enrolling, we enrolled 12,000 uh, mobile devices into Intune in the same time um, and uh, a few other features as well. And meeting every single morning and just really focusing on, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? So um, in normal time, would you see a project like that tend to go um, sequentially or with slight overlaps, but you'd probably do exchange first as a lift. And then yes. you might do your mobile devices after that versus now it's all running concurrently at the same time. Yes, exactly. As well, in normal times, we wouldn't have seen as much executive pressure pushing down on everybody to get this done. And I think that was one big motivator, right? With, with people at the top pushing down daily, this needs to get done, this needs to get done. Having, you know, high level government people show up on town halls to speak about why this is happening. That type of motivation really made everybody kind of get in line. All right, we got to get this done. Well, uh, and I think that's what I've heard from many other companies where they and it, and it was at first a tagline, but I think it is serious. We're fitting in two to three years worth of IT growth in three yeah. months due to COVID. But I yeah. think part of that is not only a willingness to accept 
change, to embrace change, because we don't have a choice. But also, I think a lot of companies are matching funding to be able to escalate these needs to a huge extent, meaning that the pocketbooks are open and they have to be. And when you're willing to invest a ton of money in a short period of time, are you seeing that as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so you're right. It wasn't just the the political will and the IT will to do it, but it was also whatever funding you need. Let's just make this happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you mentioned throttling, Antonio, do you mean throttling in terms of um, being able to migrate a lot more data more quickly? Yes. You don't mean throttling in terms of usage. You mean literally loading in data. I mean, literally loading in 200 terabytes of mailbox data in the space of about 10 weeks. Um, where we would have originally expected that to take about nine months. Like that six to nine month, the way we were originally planning that out was, we would probably have 70% of mailboxes migrated in six to nine months. And at that point, we could declare victory. And we're, you know, done. We're still migrating other stuff, but we're done the majority of it. Um, whereas now it'll be 100% in the space of 10 weeks. Um, so throttling, definitely, it's about the actual movement of data into the Microsoft Cloud. Um, as you guys know, um, depending on the methods you use to migrate the data and the type of data you're migrating, Microsoft will throttle those connections. Absolutely. Even when you're using things like the migration API, right? Mm-hmm. Which for SharePoint and OneDrive migrations really helps increase the speed with which you can migrate data. But there are still throttling limits. And the reason those limits are there is to protect the service so that you know you migrating 200 terabytes of data in doesn't affect the um, end user experience of some other customer that's running on the same data center. So what are some of the other, if we think about it, in order to move so quickly to move an organization into M365 during these times of COVID, what are the things that are getting sacrificed? One is money and savings, right? Okay. Two is building consensus because the company needs to go and they no longer need to get everybody on board. Somebody's okay. making a decision and it's that will to go. Yep. What other things do you think it's user experience, security and governance controls? Like what other things are you seeing that people are leaving by the wayside in order to make this happen as quickly as possible? Um, in, in my, what I'm doing right now, I'm doing something similar to Antonio is there are some sacrifices happening from, from the business side and from the technology side as well. It depends on each organization. But the most sacrifices I'm seeing is um, security, not so much. Uh, because we, we definitely have to have a secure environment. We have to have the baseline, security baseline implemented to make things work. Uh, but governance is, is huge. Uh, we are skipping a lot on governance. We are doing some basic governance from a technology side. Uh, but from a, from a business side, that's we're skipping that for now. Uh, and user adoption is, is, uh, is not being taken care of as much as I want to. Um, that there are going to be uh, developing some training materials, training videos. We're getting Microsoft, for example, involved to do some training. Yeah. But uh, the user adoption to the flow of services, uh, particularly in a, in a project I'm involved with, uh, is not the right flow. Uh, for example, uh, just to get in, in, my, in, in my project I'm working on right now, uh, it's a government uh, department as well, just under 20,000. And the, the, the goal was to get remote workers connected. Yeah. So the first goal is to get teams implemented. So we don't want, uh, we don't care today about exchange hybrid or migrating exchange. Let's have two mailboxes, but block access to the cloud mailbox. Uh, so those little things that we are not fully enabling the end user, 
just making sure that they are connected through Teams, and we will address the other services later on. Yes, SharePoint is enabled, OneDrive is enabled, but we are not creating any SharePoint sites, just focusing on Teams and uh, take care of a little bit of the governance from the back end and train them on Teams and come back and train them on everything else. So there's a lot to put a pin in that and then we'll come back to it later. Yeah, exactly. I, I would I would echo the same thing. On the governance front, definitely, but the way that we the way that we have thought about it is we're sacrificing some of the operationalization of the features, right? So so for example, um, you know, it's one thing to configure Exchange in a hybrid and migrate mailboxes or to configure teams and get everybody enabled with it but then who manages that from an operational perspective going forward? Because in governments especially, it's not the same team that actually migrates you in that's then gonna manage it from an operations perspective going forward. So that operationalization for some of the services, not all, um, I think that is something, we'll figure that out later, how that's gonna happen. Um, some of the governance, some of the, the time frame that we would um, expect between adoption exercises, so has shortened significantly. Right. I think you touched on this, Sarah, where, um, you know, we are still do, doing change management activities and adoption activities, but they're happening much faster. Right. The, the amount of change is coming at people much, much faster. Exactly. And uh, one thing also I'm seeing where the sacrifices is information management. When you do it the right way, you go and you do identity first and you do security and you, you configure all the all the compliance in the back end and you put all the policies, all the labels, and you start moving one service at a time, you have the time to implement information management and information governance. Uh, with just expediting the actual uh, deployment through COVID, information management is on the radar, but we're gonna get back to it later on, which might work, it will work, but it might take more work in the future just to go back and uh, classify content. Yeah, yeah. And actually, for the example that I, I was talking about, we have the same objective of get everybody on Teams to collaborate remotely. But in our case, we decided to do the exchange part first so that people have a, I'll say, a better overall experience of both Exchange Online and Teams together. Um, when we roll out Teams, which is coming next, right, this 10 weeks that we've been on is ending really soon, and we're on to Teams immediately afterwards, um, we're starting off with Teams IM, chat and online meetings we okay. are not enabling teams for collaboration spaces or you know the sharepoint sites behind it first so it's going to be first allow everyone to chat in teams um, and allow everybody to online meetings booked through outlook well and that's an interesting thing that i've heard about from a lot of people is if they're not in microsoft 365 at all yet does the times that we're in right now with COVID impact what they choose to implement when? And I think it does for a lot of organizations because a lot of organizations start with email and then they might bundle that with one other thing or they'll do email first and then they'll move on to OneDrive, SharePoint and maybe Teams. Um, and now we're hearing about a lot of organizations that are just jumping straight into Teams or straight into Teams, as you said, Mike, where we will just disable the online mailbox for now because we don't have time to worry about it, but we need to get those meetings running in Teams. We need to enable people to be able to collaborate together. Um, and I think that that's a huge change as well. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. And one thing we're seeing sacrificing as well, the uh, the network planning activities. Uh, typically when you go and uh, onboard big organizations, you have to do some assessment on the network and the bandwidth. 
does the bandwidth allow us to go and especially right now everyone's remote does it allow us to onboard everyone uh, so even though so from a, in, in a regular implementation uh, you can just connect from home that is not an issue in a government type implementation when you have to have a secure line between where you are and the actual data center and the government Canada perspective you still have to go you still have to VPN to the to the office right. and use use teams that way uh, so that network planning activity is being sacrificed as well is being happening after the implementation and deployment of teams well and I wonder for some companies um, if things like conditional access right where you're turning off the ability to access office 365 from any device so you have to go in through a control device or VPN and then if companies are starting to look at split tunneling or other things and really differently configuring their network than they normally would to be able to get to office 365 because they quite simply can't make it work when they have to push everything through VPN yeah. first single one correct Yes, so split tunneling is one of the actual, I would call it phase 2.A uh, for in my project that we have teams today with students deployed and split tunneling is the, the next one that's happening that way. We're not just going through the VPN, everyone going through the same pipe. Yeah, it, it was amazing how quickly we were able to get split tunneling in place uh, oh, in wow. hours with, yeah, so we did that first. Okay. Uh, and and it, normally that would take months to get in place. Right. Time was like, yeah, just go do it. Um, but it's amazing how I think companies are taking advantage of the opportunity to be able to say, let's move quickly on this. It might have been something we wanted to do before, but it was too political or it would take too long to get all of those approvals. And suddenly we've got a window and a clear directive. So let's just go. Exactly. Yeah. And this isn't a situation where all government employees here were told, go work from home. So yeah. they have to enable themselves to work from home from their old tech. Um, and then we're, you know, from, you know, we've on, we're on these calls daily where there's, you know, like 20 people on these calls. They're all on video with WebEx because uh, they didn't have teams yet. Um, and you see them all like in their living rooms and bedrooms and, so, you know, their mm -hmm. kids bedroom and their kids are around behind them. And we're planning this massive move into Microsoft 365. It's it's interesting to see how quickly everyone just got motivated around getting it done. Right. Slide hyperdrive. I think another key difference that I have seen is the the user adoption and training materials that are being consumed to help people learn teams especially is very different than what I think we would have seen before. Many companies and the large companies that I tend to work at, we either create a lot of those training materials in-house or we might go with a vendor that provides those training materials in a controlled fashion. Now I'm hearing about a lot of companies and people that are learning everything that they need to know about configuring Teams and their end users, everything they need to know about using Teams off of Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Yes. And they're yes. sourcing it all independently because they just don't have the time to put together those training programs. And the users are saying, I'm at home, I'm just gonna Google it and I'm gonna find a three minute video on how to do X in Teams because I just need to figure out how to do it right now. Yeah. Yeah, and there are the training videos at the Microsoft site that are not long, three to five minutes each, and they're great. Uh, so in my case, if they cannot wait until they get the turn from a formal training that is applicable to the tenant, I'm just telling them just go to that site and watch the videos until we do the training for you in the next week or two. But if you go back to the question, let's say stay outside of COVID, how fast can we deploy M365? So a year from now, COVID hopefully is gone and we're back to somewhat normal life. 
um, a, a new organization come in play and we have to onboard the end organization to M365, what's typically the, the time frame? Um, I personally think nothing less than three months, unless you are a really, really small organization. Right. I would okay. agree. You're going to have to do identity, you're going to have to do security configuration first, and you're going to have to go exchange, and then you move on to all other services with Teams, OneDrive, and Exactly. And I think if you're talking about a very large enterprise customer, um, you're talking about, I think, realistically, a multi-year effort during normal time that's not COVID time, because first you've got to go through all of that, then you're going to start with those email migrations, and I think, Antonio, you nailed it, right? You're going to do six or seven months, you're going to get to 70%, call it good, but then you're going to have another three to five months of yeah. completing all the rest of those, and then you're going to move on to turn on things in a fashion that isn't a big bang. Um, yeah. During COVID, I think more big bang is more the typical um, of just the way uh, that we're doing things. One thing that I uh, have thought about is, let's say 2021 or 2022, I think companies are starting to feel conservative about they're not sure what's going to come, so they don't want to overspend. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens to IT budgets and for investments and things like moving to Microsoft 365 if they don't do it, do it during the time of COVID, that it might actually delay that process. Yeah, but that's a good point. I think that you, we might see, you know, you've had it, you did a ton of spending in 2020. Yeah, it was for COVID, but you spent a ton of money. We're going to have to pull back on that a little bit in 2021. I think we are going to see some of that. I think so too. Yeah. I think it's a great topic though. So yeah. in other words, if you are working at an organization and you're right on that precipice of deciding during COVID, do we go the M365 route or not? Um, my advice would be, um, it's a good time to jump in because there are a lot of other companies and organizations in the same boat. And if you hold back, you just don't know what's coming around yeah. that next corner. Uh, absolutely. I hate to say it, but I have heard the saying lately, um, don't waste a good crisis. Yeah, yeah you don't waste a good crisis. It's, uh, yeah. it's the time now. Uh, everyone's remote. It is, it, is, it is a good time to jump on M365. Yeah, agree. It's a great topic. Uh, it's always good to talk to you both and get your opinion. And I see that uh, Antonio and I have a similar experience with clients. We're doing pretty much exactly the same. Uh, it's, it's interesting on how everyone is pretty much doing very, very similar steps. Mm -hmm. Thank you again. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. Bye, everybody.